So yes, if you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. We're coming back to a text of scripture that we started last week, a text of scripture that I said in light of the Christmas season, instead of doing the book of Revelation, I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to do a couple series of messages on and my push is for you to be here Friday night because we're going to continue this message. And then, I mean, not Friday night, Saturday night, which is Christmas Eve, and then Sunday morning next week as well. Look, we want to have a focus on Jesus. You know, last week I gave up some illustrations, and I don't want to get anybody irritated or frustrated or more aggravated. But I'll tell you what, I went through this past week, and I was absolutely jaw-dropped, stunned. Stunned at what is happening in our culture this week. I mean, I, I'm point of, of numbness. And I'll just say this without going into the detail. For anybody that knows what the American Girl doll store did this week, you look that up. And if you're not absolutely terrified, absolutely terrified in your heart what the American Girl doll store did, which is, it just typifies where America is. We are in a culture that has basically said, we don't want Jesus anymore. We don't want God. We don't want truth. And it is important for us to be in the book of Hebrews at a book that has designed itself to focus on who Jesus is. And it is in chapter 1, you look at verse 4, where this author of Hebrews is trying to get the Jewish people to understand how significant Jesus is He's already compared Jesus to the prophets. He's going to talk about how Jesus is better than Moses and then the covenants and even the temple. He begins in verse 4 saying, having become much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And the idea of a comparison now comes to play. And we said there are five comparisons here where the Jews we knew had a focus on angels the author here wants us to have a focus on Jesus. We talked about the book of Hebrews has this passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that really, I think, summarizes so much of the book that it says, here, turn there real quick. This is the reminder because I want to keep this focused. We said that this, this passage, as the book continues to work through what Christ is greater and he's better and this whole concept of faith in chapter 11. And then he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I love this illustration. And I used it last week with the idea of walking through the snow, fixing a point about a mile down the road. And if you do that, you find yourself going on the straight and narrow path. And I tell you what, I, I pushed myself and I applied it in a way for myself even this week. And I found it is so helpful. You talk about coming to church and thinking that, you know, we're going to get into doctrine, we're going to get into all this deep theological truths. But I tell you, if in your mind you can have this focus that you're thinking about Jesus and that when you get to the end of your life, because life is not a sprint, as you see there, it's run the race with endurance, that you're going to see Jesus, then 
you will find yourself, I believe, making better choices. And I saw it with my own life this week. And I wanted to add something to this week because the idea of focusing on Jesus, running a race of endurance, it may not be running, but it's the idea of as we go through our life and we, we go somewhere, and maybe you've done it, maybe you've run a long distance. I don't know what's the longest you've ever run. I know that um, Courtney's run 13.1 miles, so, is, so has uh, a few other people. Has anybody else here run a marathon? Anyone? You've run a marathon? You've run, got, you got all 26 miles in? Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking today, what's the longest you've ever walked? You know, for me, I, I know that I have walked um, sometimes maybe 10, 12 miles in a day. I've gone to, I've gone to <laughs> taking my kids to um, parks and, you know, uh, you go and you walk all day. And I asked before the service, I asked Bill, has he ever walked anywhere long? And he told me about this trip he took in Hawaii, uh, one of the islands, say it loud, Kauai Island. There was a mountain he went up, it's 11 miles, and incredible, incredible walk, very exhausting walk. And have you ever ever walked anywhere for a long distance and when you got there you went to the wrong place (laughs) have you have you ever gone and you've like said i'm going to go to the store and said i'm not going to take the car i'm not going to take the bike i'm just going to walk and you just go and then you get there and it's closed and the store you went to the wrong place you see i love this illustration in Hebrews chapter 12, this exhortation, really. Because to me, as I'm trying to get you to focus on Jesus, I want you to think of this illustration. As you're walking through life, I know when you walk, sometimes things catch your eyes and they glitter. or They're attractive. And all of a sudden, you start to go off course. And the idea is, is that if you go off course... You're not going to get to the right destination. And really, when you get to the end, it's going to be at the wrong place. You see that line there in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, when it talks about you running the race of endurance. I would sure hate that if I was in a marathon race and I was running and I got into that race and you know, obviously you've got other contestants, but if you're just running this race and all of a sudden you were with the group and you went to the wrong finish line, Wouldn't that be horrible? If you're not following Jesus Christ, you're going the wrong way. That's what I'm just trying to get you to understand. If you're not going and fixing your eyes on Jesus, you're going the wrong way. You're coming to the end of your life, and God is going to say, I never knew you. You went to the wrong place. You went to the wrong door. You went to the wrong whatever. I saw the video, it's it's really hard this week, of Bruce Jenner. And everyone who's an adult knows who Bruce Jenner is. And he, interestingly enough, was talking about what it's going to be like when I face God. And he talked about how God is going to say to him, you did great. You did good. And the answer is, no, you didn't. 
Because you didn't follow the way of God. You didn't go Jesus' way. And look, there's a lot that is gold and glitter and wonderful things in this world. But you can put all your money into a business. You can put all your money into pleasure. You can put all your effort into sports. And when it's all said and done, it all goes away. We've been talking about the fact that whoever loves the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, you're following the wrong thing because the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. That is why we are trying to get people to understand you've got to focus on Jesus, the true meaning of what Christmas is all about, the birth of Jesus Christ. And what we recognize is, look... This passage, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 1, is talking about angels. And angels are part of the Christmas story, and angels are part of our culture. And we said that the Jewish people greatly, highly exalted angels. We know in our culture they do the same thing. I don't know. Look, they do it all the time. There's, where the Jewish people, you could say, where the Jewish people loved angels and highly elevated them and thought they were almost equal to God, which they did because we read stuff about this week. We know our culture does too. And for those who weren't with us, we read a passage in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 that talked about how even the early church was worshiping angels. And look, I get it. You know, you make this Christmas season very sentimental and you, you bring in stuff about angels. And I've already watched It's a Wonderful Life. How many people watch, I love Wonderful Life. How many people still cry? I'll cry. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, but then Clarence is, is a human who turned into an angel. <laughs> it's so theologically bad. <clears throat> you know, we, you don't turn into an angel. Why is Jesus better? Look at verse 5. For which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? And I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And we talked about the fact that he was given a superior name, son of God. Jesus has this name. It's not just Jesus. These are titles when we talk about name. When he talks about whatever, whoever, who did he ever call this? And the idea of son of God is the Messiah. It's a title that the Jews should have begun to understand from the Old Testament about how the Messiah had to be God who became a man. And we're going to talk about this throughout the entire Christmas season, but that is a mentality that is mind-boggling when you think about as the idea of the omniscience, omnipotent, omnipresent, om, uh, what do I got? Omniscient, om, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. The eternality of God. That this one who is incredible in existence came to earth as a human being. Not just to be a human being, but to die by the very creation's hand that he created so that we could have eternal life. And, he, and, and for us to not have that understanding that he is greater than any other angel would be so wrong. So he says in verse 5, For which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Today I've begotten you. And here begun, began this long series. And some of you have Bibles that show Old Testament quotes in the New Testament in a, in a 
type font that basically shows, hey, it's being quoted. And if you look at verse 5 all the way down through verse 13, there is just quote after quote after quote as the author of Hebrews is just pounding us to try to get us to understand this mystery of Jesus Christ was rooted in the Old Testament. And it's not just something new, but it, now Christ becomes the fulfillment. And this idea of being son of God is something that is a title and so many people we talked about last week have gotten off track. They've gotten off the wrong path because they haven't understood that this is a title for the Messiah that shows that he is of equality with God. And so Jesus, when the, the second line, they're recognized in his incarnation. When Jesus was born, the angels start declaring him, this is the Son of God. And then when Jesus is resurrected, he's declared the Son of God in the sense that he's always continually passing the test from his human human side what he starts off as being the god who comes to earth as a man to be the messiah it gets declared and then gets constantly affirmed that's what all of those passages are referencing well now we come to this concept and this is he's superior in worship over the angels look at verse six and it says, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And here we get this quote that is a combination, and I'm not going to go into all the detail, from Psalm 97, as well as a Greek Septuagint of Deuteronomy 32:43. The point, though, is clear, that this firstborn, the angels have never been told to worship. One commentator said, if we were told to angel worship angels, it would be angelology or something like that. I mean, how do they put it? Angelology, which I had never heard that word. We're never told to worship angels. We're never told to adore angels. But we're told, as the angels were told, to worship Jesus. And that's what we just celebrated. You know, we look at the kids and they're, you know... <laughs> enacting out this play, but that very fact is that they enacted out truth that this baby who came to earth was the one that got worshipped. And you look at verse 6 and it says, when he brings the firstborn in, and again, because I'm not going to go too deep, the idea of firstborn doesn't mean first in sequence. Like there are three boys in my family, I'm the firstborn. This expression was not for the first child that actually chronologically was born. I was born in 61, my brother in 64, then 66. We're not looking at who was born first, but this was a title when you study it that deals with the one that got the recognition, maybe the double blessing. And so if you want to go deeper into that, you can. And I just want you to understand that is that this is recognizing that when he brings the significant one, that's sort of like what he's saying there. He says, basically, let all the angels of God worship him. And this is what I want you to think about. When you worship something, you give it worth. You give it your value. You give it to all that you think it is honorable and I ask you right now when you take your time your talents and your treasures what do you worship because what you worship is what you become like what you value is what you you center your life on I, I know that because we live in America 
you're constantly being pressurized to be part of this culture that loves clothes or diamonds or cars or ease of life or sports. And I've got to get you guys all to understand. You can be somebody who says, you know, I just like to read or I just like to be into gardening or I just like to be into um, my music or whatever it is. Every one of us can have some little thing that we put up as an idol as to what we're worshiping. And God wants us to give all of our worship to him. Because the idea of worship is what you value, what is of worth. And it's fascinating. If you do a study of the word worship, it really doesn't appear until the book of in Genesis until Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac and he gives the knowledge that he's going up to worship God. I think that's the first time that concept is first appears in the Bible. But where we begin to really see the idea of lines being drawn in the sand is when God begins to give the Ten Commandments. And when God gives the Ten Commandments, it's fascinating to me that we're not, the second command is that we're told, do not worship idols. And, and it's fascinating when you con- contemplate the idea like of an idol, like who would, who would worship an idol? Fools, that's who. God, I think one of the funniest things I ever laugh about in the Bible, it's one where God gives a little bit of humor, is in the book of Isaiah. And I think it's chapter 43, but if I'm not right on that, it would be close to it. It's when God says, what in the world are you doing? You, you, you watch a man take a tree. He cuts the tree down. And then he carves out his idol and he cuts out half the other tree half the other side and he puts it the other part in his fire to warm him and to make his food and the other one he bows down on his knees what do you worship what is at the heart of what you are worshiping because where you put your time your talent your treasure where where, what you consider most valuable it could be something not of material value. It could be something like I'm really into something immoral, something where I just, I just want to have a life of ease. I want to be number one. You know what is the value. And God says, I don't want you to worship anything that is of this world and make it an idol. So you look and you laugh at the people. I've had the opportunity to travel around this country and I, and, and I, this, around this world, and I've seen how people have put, you know, little statues, like a little Buddha or some other type of being, and, and they worship these things as if they are gods. And the reality of it is, is they are just gods that are going to give them what they think they want. And you think to yourself, oh, my goodness, we are so past that. My goodness, I pulled out of my driveway this morning, and my neighbors all have statues in front of their houses. How many of us have neighbors that have idols right in front of their homes today? God says, don't worship any idols. And then then he comes and he says this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. This is the first time it appears. I would have thought it would have been in the Ten Commandments when he says, don't worship when he would have said maybe don't worship anything but me. But it's not until Exodus 34 he says, you shall not worship any other God. Any other thing of value. 
You are not to give it your worth, your value, your time, your talents, your treasures. And it's not like we can't live in this world, and we work in this world, and we enjoy things in this world. I got it. I understand. But God knows two people can do the same thing. Two people can do the same thing. But one person is doing it because that is their God, and the other is doing it because, you know, I got it in the right perspective. And I can't tell where you are. As a congregation, I don't know where your hearts are at. But I can tell you this, and this is what I'm going to tell something I said in Sunday school. In the past two weeks, I've had this really good experience for myself. I saw something that I just wanted more than anything. And it was not good. And I said to myself, well, if you just ran with that and you went with that, you'd be just happy. <laughs> and and, and it would be all about you, Michael. You, 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 you. And I let myself run with it. And I said, when it was all said and done in my mind, I said, God, did you just see what I did? I can't change that. I've given you my life, and you've given me a new heart, but in my heart. So this is to people who are believers. Because if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't do this until you come to the Lord. But I said, God, did you see that? Did you see where I just went and what I thought? You've got to change that heart. You've got to change those passions. Because I recognize that's foolishness. And I know that every one of you, because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're challenged. We're in this world that wants to pull our hearts away and, 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 and think that as you're going down the road that these gold and glitter and trinkets are worth taking you off course. But the reality of it is it will end up empty and dead for you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know where those idols creep into your life right now. And I'm just asking you as believers to come on a Sunday morning and say, God, you see it, you know it, because I want you on judgment day to know me. You see, when, when Jesus says in Matthew, many will say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, get away from me. I never, you know, Jesus says, get away from me. I never knew you. I want you to be a congregation where you say, my goodness, my pastor was always telling me to talk to God. So God, knows me. He understands who I am. And it is absolute foolishness and such a lie that you are coming on a Sunday morning perfect. It is, a, it is an absolute lie. I've had so many people come think, oh my goodness, you guys are perfect. We're not perfect. We are sinners who need Jesus. And we need to tell Jesus all the time, this is where I'm going off. This is the path I'm going through. I've got this anger. I've got this bitterness. I've got this greed. I've got this lust. I've got this whatever going on. You've got to change me. This isn't because I worship the wrong things. You see, angels are great. And, and, and when you look at the fact that it says, it says, and let all the angels of God worship him. When you contemplate a study of scripture that there are millions and trillions of angels, and when you understand that Satan himself was an angel based upon Isaiah, I believe it's 14 and Ezekiel 28, that when you understand that he was so great, now think about this, 
We believe theologically Satan was so great created as an angel that when he went to the other angels and said, follow me instead of following God. So however they looked at him, they said, you are pretty cool looking. We should probably follow you too. And they did. We know one third of the angels went with him. Scary, isn't it? That's scary. But yet Jesus is the one that is greater than all of them. Jesus is greater than any other angel. Now, we just talked about how the Magi came to worship Jesus. And I just want you to contemplate this. In Matthew chapter 2, when the, angel, when the Magi came to Herod, if you could go back on your own and study this, when the Magi came in Matthew chapter 2, I think it's in verse 2, they say, we've come to Herod and we came to do what? We came to worship the baby. And then Herod lies and says, I want to go and worship too. And then he comes back. I think it's three times in Matthew 2 that the Magi then come back with the third time. Well, we're going off to worship. We, we tell that story all the time. But time out. Why don't we ever stop and say, Herod, why did you not stop the Magi and say, what are you doing, dudes? You don't worship babies. You don't even worship a, a king. Why don't we ever have Herod say, what? worship only goes to God? Because I think they started to understand that the Messiah was worthy of worship because it only could be God who came in the flesh. The concept of Jesus and having angels worship him is, is alluded at then with the shepherds. And as we go through the New Testament, the idea of the idea of the idea of people who are true believers are people who worship God in spirit, according to Philippians 3 3. A man named Harold Shaw. Well, no, Harold Shaw Publishers recorded this excerpt. It's about what other gods could we have besides the Lord? And it says, what other gods could we have beside the Lord? And the answer is plenty. For Israel, there were the Canaanite Baals, those jolly nature gods who worship was a rampage of gluttony, drunkenness, and ritual prostitution. For us, there are still great gods, sex, shekels, stomach, an unholy trinity constituting one God's self, and the other enslaving trio, pleasure, possessions, position, whose worship is ascribed as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the gross pride of life, 1 John 2, 16. There is football, the firm, the family are also gods for some. Yes, even the family sometimes are, is worshipped. Indeed, the list of other gods is endless. For anything that anyone allows to run his life becomes his god, and the claimants for his prerogative are legion. In the matter of life's basic loyalty, temptation is a many-headed monster. So my challenge to you today is, yeah, if Jesus is greater than angels, and angels are great because we recognize how incredible they are, and even Satan was an incredible angel, only Jesus gets our worship. And I'm asking you to really start thinking in your heart, what gets my worth? Are you taking time to read your Bible, to pray to him, to sing praises to him when you're all alone, to sing when you're here? 
I remind you today to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Because this one that we just celebrated with the incredible story and the children played it out so well, it's amazing that he will die for us. And as I gave the illustration last week, the reality of it is, is when Jesus Christ died for us, he took the penalty for us. And if you weren't here, I gave an illustration last week of the fact that if somebody murdered your family and went on trial, and they went on trial for the murder of your family, and when they went before the judge, everyone in this congregation came to be a support for you. And when the judge made the declaration, he said, yes, this man is guilty. Yes, he murdered your family. Yes, he deserves penalty but I am a benevolent and loving and merciful judge, and I am full of new mercies every morning. I am letting him go. I hope those of you who are here have thought about that and contemplated that, because that is not the way God operates. God doesn't just sweep it under the rug. What God does is bring the full penalty that that murderer deserved upon Jesus the one that we cuddle and look all sweet and huggy as a baby, you know, we just have to remember, he's the one. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about all the anger you have in the world for all the crimes that you see in the world, and then you put it on Jesus because that's what he did. He took the sins of the world. And then you remember that he took your sins as well. And it would be an absolute reprehensible thing that his death was something that you just ignored. What Jesus is asking you today is for your worship, your loyalty. I love the fact that we have been studying the book. We, we studied the concept of what belief is, and belief is like allegiance. Who would you give your allegiance to today? Is it Jesus because if you are in control of your life, you say, well, no, I'm just going to continue to live with my person. I'm just going to take what I want. I'm just going to lie, steal, cheat. I'm just going to do what I want, and I'm not going to want anything to do with God. Well, then your allegiance is to anything but Jesus. But if you're called to truly believe and to turn from your sin, then you're going to turn and you're going to give your allegiance, your faith to Jesus Christ, and he's going to be your Lord. For whoever confesses with his mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believes in his heart shall be saved, right? Paraphrasing it from Romans. Listen, I'm asking you today, worship Jesus. There's no one greater because he is worthy. And he gave his life to pay the penalty so you can have eternal life, a true quality of life. If you had to write down right now, what are the top things that you worship in life? Or where you spend your time? If your time isn't for spending it focused on matters regarding Jesus, then you are spending your time wrong. And I'm just asking you, get on the right path. Focus on Jesus. Stop going off path and going to that which is glittering gold. Even you are believe, who are believers in Jesus Christ, make sure you're on the right path, fixing your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for what we can celebrate at Christmas, but we can celebrate it year-round, about the incredible reality of who Jesus is, he didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to die to pay the penalty for our sins. He didn't have to, but he did. And he also 
he also did this so that we wouldn't be going after that which is a mirage, that which is an oasis, that which is a, a false thing that glitters. God, you've made this world and it's got a lot of good things in it, but the only thing worthy of worship is you. And I'm glad that you didn't make statues. And I'm glad you've told us that people who make statues and that stuff is all reprehensible and also a joke. Whether you can carve something out of a tree or carve something out of stone and throw the rest of the stone away, throw the rest of the tree away. Please, God, there are people here today that are part of religious groups that do that. I would just ask that something in their hearts would crumble for the ice that they have towards the true and living God who's asked us to never have idols. But then there are gods here people, that people worship God where it's money and health and family and sports. And they pressure, they, they, they prioritize all that they have on these foolish idols. And they can say, I'm different than the people who have made something out of gold or something out of stone or something out of wood. But God, their idol is just as real. Help all of us, God, who are believers in Jesus Christ, because we live in a world that wants to make all of, our, all of us have our own idol. And we're all individuals as our world promotes. But Father, we are constantly, constantly, I'm hoping, coming here and recognizing that we need to stay on the right path. And so please help the believers do just that. We thank you that, that we, we can be honest with you, God, about where our hearts drift and where the world literally takes us down a path that takes us off of the right way to go. Help us to stay on a true and narrow path. And when we're done to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.